MSW Media. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Dan Dunn. Got a big one coming up today. Our old pal, Tom Caltabiano, is going to be joining us along with a new pal, new buddy of ours, legendary voiceover artist, Maurice LaMarche. You, you just won't even believe how many characters this guy that, you're, that you know and you know well that this man has brought voice to, Maurice LaMarche. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. But first... I'll say this right now, folks, I pride myself on never making mistakes or rarely making mistakes, but every once in a while, there is drinking involved, mistakes happen. They do. In this case, on last week's episode, which we dubbed Songs of the Soust, we got into music that's related to drinking, and a lot of it was my own personal relationship with drinking, and I got to talking about an old painting that my grandfather used to have in his down in his basement in the family room uh, of Frank Sinatra, his hero, loved Frank, and Frank had a bottle of Jack Daniels, and so I started getting into the whole history of Frank Sinatra's relationship with Jack Daniels, and I recounted a story that was told to me by my old friend, Eric E.T. Tukoski, I think he's the, un, the, the brand ambassador of the universe for Jack Daniels, the entire universe. So he told me a story, and I recounted, this is a couple of years ago, though, and I told that story last week on the show, and E.T. reached out to me and told me that some new information has been brought to light that refutes some of what I told you. I cannot have my, my audience going around to cocktail parties reciting bad information that I gave them. So here, joining us right now to clear things up, to tell us what it is we got wrong last week, is the man himself, E.T. E.T. phone home? E.T. phone home. <laughs> Thank you. Does that ever get old? No. 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 Yeah. It, it, I don't even, it almost doesn't even register anymore. It's just going to happen. You <laughs> How know? you doing, buddy? Now, Good, just man. a little background for everybody. E.T. is now the man at Jack Daniels. But a long time ago, I'm, he and I met, he was running the bar out here called Jones. Very cool, famously hip spot, old school Hollywood. And up on Santa Monica Boulevard around, uh, where is that, near Fairfax, right around that area? And, Formosa, uh, Formosa Cafe. Oh, man. You ran that place. And then he has since moved on to work for Jack Daniels. So good to see you, my friend. You too, buddy. You too. Um, I will tell you this, man. It's not your fault that you recounted that story because that is the story I told you. The only fault is that we haven't had a night where we drank enough where that came up and we got to tell the new story. So that's our fault. Well, let's start by what, what did I, what did I say that is, is not accurate? So for years and years and years, we all thought us, the Sinatra state, everyone thought that Jackie Gleason from the honeymooners, right. Uh, smoking the bandit, that he's the one that introduced Jack Daniels to Frank Sinatra. And if you buy a bottle of Sinatra select, there's a little book that talks about Sinatra and that that story. And we found out a couple years ago that just wasn't true. Jackie Gleason did not introduce Frank to Jack Daniels. Right. According to Frank, no. So there's a famous picture of the two of them drinking. It was in a book, right? So if it's written down, it's got to be true. And that's the story we went with. That's the only information we had. And that's the story we ran with. And then... During, uh, I guess, the first year of COVID, the Jack Daniels historian was doing a podcast with the president of the Sinatra state, the guy who's like the liaison between the world and Sinatra. And 
the host asked that question. He's like, hey, how did Frank Sinatra, you know, everyone knows he loved Jack Daniels, but what was his first sip? How did he get, how did he get on board? And our historian, Nelson Eddy, was waiting for Charlie from Sinatra to tell the Jackie Gleason story. And Charlie's like, you're waiting for me to tell the Jackie Gleason story, right? He's like, yeah, of course. He goes, you know, it's not true anymore. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, everyone involved has been gone for years. How did the story change? And apparently, Charlie was listening to a bunch of old Sinatra recordings, a lot of them that were never released. And one of them was from Caesar's Palace in Vegas in 1982. And during the show, you know, Sinatra famously always had a glass of Jack on the rocks on stage with him. And I guess he took a sip and he looked out to the audience and he said, hey, did I ever tell you about how I got introduced to Jack Daniels? I'm sure, you know, they ought to know, Frank, tell us. So Sinatra's like, back in the early 50s, I was at my good friend Humphrey Bogart's house at a dinner party. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. And after dinner, Bogey says to me, what do you want for an after dinner drink? And I said, I don't care, I'll drink anything. And Bogey says, well, if you don't care, you're going to drink what I drink. Sinatra says, what do you drink? Bogey says, I drink Jack Daniels. Sinatra says, what the hell is Jack Daniels? Bogey says, you're about to find out, right? So he pours Frank a glass of Jack Daniels. And basically from the minute it touched his lips, he was rarely seen you know, on stage or, or at a restaurant without Jack Daniels. And he loved it so much that when he was laid to rest, there was a bottle of Jack Daniels buried with him. Well, there you have it. And what's it? We talked about this last week on the show. Frank never took a dime. He was never a paid spokesperson for Jack Daniels. He just enjoyed it so much that he became an evangelist about the brand. Yeah, I mean, it, there was no like today where there's influencers and, and celebrities that are all attached to brands. Sinatra loved Jack Daniels, and the only relationship Jack Daniels, the company, and Frank Sinatra had was this guy Angelo Lucchese, who was our first. Jack Daniels salesperson. We so, talked about him on the show last week, yeah. Okay, yeah. So when Jack, Jack's nephew, Jack's four great nephews, that's who sold Jack Daniels. And then the nephews hired Angelo Lucchese as the first sales guy. And what happened was, I think in the 60s, Sinatra was at the Copa. That's when Jack Daniels was impossible to find. It was on allocation for 20 years, right? And it what's ironic is Sinatra is the root of a lot of that problem because he was out there telling people, I love Jack Daniels. They went to buy it. You can't make whiskey fast. So as sales spiked, supply went away. And Jack Daniels was on allocation for 20 years. So at the height of this allocation, Sinatra's at the Copacabana. Either they didn't have Jack, they were out of Jack. He's not happy. So he says to his buddy, Jilly Rizzo, you got to find me someone down there that, that knows someone at Jack Daniels that can, you know, get me some Jack Daniels. So, Jilly knew a guy who knew Angelo. By the way, I feel like we've just dropped into Goodfellas. Yeah, right. Jilly knew a guy knew Angelo, knew a guy, and I think dropped off the I mean, back so, of the truck. Right. Exactly. So here's Jilly from New York calling down, you know, to uh, Kentucky and Tennessee trying to uh, scare up some Jack Daniels. So the guy he knew did know Angelo. So this guy happened to be picking up Angelo for church the next day, picks up Angelo, and he's like, hey, Frank Sinatra's guy, Jilly Rizzo, got a hold of me, asked me if I knew anyone with some pull down here that can get us some Jack Daniels. And Angela's like, I, you know, I don't know how much pull I have, but I'll try. Next day he goes into work. And, you know, no one, even the nephews are like, we don't know where we can find Jack Daniels in New York. So they're like, go talk to the president of the company. So he goes in the guy's office and the guy loved Sinatra. And he's like, look, I'll do my best to make this happen. So I guess a case of Jack Daniels was sent to Sinatra's hotel with Angelo's name attached to it. And a couple weeks later, Angelo's phone rings, and the guy's like, you know who this is? And Angelo's like, uh, Frank Sinatra? Chairman like, of the right. board. <laughs> right, like, you know, picks up his phone on a, you know, maybe he just had dinner, and there's Sinatra. And Sinatra basically said, look, you just made a friend for life. He goes, what you did, you didn't have to do. He goes, I'm your guy. Take this number down. And he gives Angelo's phone number. And that friendship lasted from the 60s till the day Frank passed. Angelo was at the funeral. And that was the only, and it wasn't a relationship like, hey, Frank, can you do this? It was, 
just hey angela come to my golf tournament let's let's have a drink together they were just amazing that's such a great story and now i got a quick one for you now that we've the big the big scoop here is that bogey humphrey bogard introduced sinatra to jack daniels i just had dinner the other night et and i don't know if you've ever been when you used to live here in la but in the venice area in venice beach there's a restaurant called casablanca of course yeah it's I believe the world's only Mexican restaurant that is themed on a movie starring Humphrey Bogart. Uh, was it Ingrid Bergman? That was uh, set in North Africa. Not sure what the connection is, but when you go to Casa, and by the way, I love Casablanca. It's one of my favorite restaurants in the world. But when you walk in, all of the decor is from the movie. There's paintings on the wall. They have a lifelike statue uh, like wax figure of Humphrey Bogard. If you're ever in Venice, you got to go there and maybe drink some Jack Daniels. Yeah, I can confirm it's a it's a great spot. And I'm only upset that when I lived on the west side, I lived in Venice, I lived in Playa Dore, I didn't discover Casablanca until I think the year I left. So oh, it was never part of my, my rotation, but it's it was my great. Jam. Well, Listen, man, always great to catch up with you. We're going we're gonna to have to do a whole Jack Daniels episode one of these days soon and because uh, there's so much history there with Jack and I'd love to really do a deep dive with you. The last time we talked was on my former show, Drinky Fun Time, but we have not had you on fully on what we're drinking. Appreciate the scoop, my friend, on, on this. This is good. Remember, folks, no Jackie Gleason, yes on Humphrey Bogart, and now, should we take a break? Yeah, we'll take a quick a quick word from one of our sponsors, and then we're going to head on over to Minotti's Coffee in Culver City, California. That's right, we're going to coffee shop to talk to Tom Caltabiano and Maurice LaMarche. E.T., you know what time it is? E.T. phone home. E.T. phone home. <laughs> no, I'm going to call my mom just because you said that. Yeah, you should do it, man. Yeah. Good to see you, buddy. You too, pal. Thank you. Friends, I made a resolution to be a better me in 2023. One of the many ways I intend to do so is by being the very best home bartender I can be. Thing is, among my other big resolutions are don't waste time and don't waste money. Let's face it, whipping up cocktails at home can be an expensive and time-consuming effort. You don't always have time to go out and get fruits and veggies and squeeze them and juice them, or at least I don't anyway. And that's why my refrigerator is always well-stocked with Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor is a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that taste splendiferous. They offer nine unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to tantalize any palate, including the two newest flavors, strawberry and lemon and grapefruit and sea salt. All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. And right now, Fresh Victor is ready to help you be your best cocktail-making you with a killer deal. Simply go to freshvictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code FVDAN20. F V for Fresh Victor, Dan, my name, 20. FVDAN20. Get 20% off your order. How's that for a sweet deal to begin the new year? Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. Shall I explain how it works? No, <laughs> challenge me. I'm sure I will. By using the infundibulator to deplete hydrogen and promote gravitational collapse, we will produce a magnetic charge from the center of the Earth so strong that every person who has loose change in their pockets will be magnetically drawn to the ground and stuck there. Ain't got brain brilliant! Uh-oh! No way! So joining me now, here at Minotti's Coffee, Washington Boulevard in lovely Culver City, California. I believe we are on the border of Culver City and Mar Vista right now. But uh, with me, old friend of the show, been on more times than we want him, but he just keeps coming back and we love him though. <laughs> Tom Caltabiano. How, Tom? How are you? Uh, thank, thank you, Dan. I wasn't, usually I get insulted much later in the show. In the show, so yeah. I, yeah. I didn't even get a word out. Well, and... it's just good-natured ribbing, sure, Tom. That's sure, all. Sure. It's good-natured ribbing. And also... And don't take offense at this, Tom, at all, but way more excited about this because he's a new friend of the show. And we always like when new people come on 
because sometimes they can then go on to become old friends of the show. But right now yes. he's a new friend of the show. He is a legendary voiceover artist. Artist is the word I say. Among the myriad characters he's had here, the brain from Pinky and the Brain. Yes. He was the voice of Toucan Sam. Follow your nose. From Fruit Loops Forever. Morbo. Morbo is pleased yet sticky to meet you. <laughs> Lieutenant Kiff Croker. Oh, the rest of the crew doesn't share your passion for Valerius, sir. <laughs> and I hope I don't have this one wrong. Alec Baldwin in Team America World Police? One day. This is actually not a great day to be written. <laughs> I know. Baldwin. We'll get to that later. Yeah, but it's uh, one of my favorite movies. But please, welcome to the show, Maurice LaMarche. Thank you. Thank you. How thank are you, man? Thank Good you to see for, you. Wow. Thanks for coming out, gents. And Tom, I, you know, I, I love you. Uh, so we're here at Minotti's, uh, Coffee Place. This is We're great, doing coffee. We don't. We, great coffee. It's bro. not always adult beverages on this show. I love coffee. I talk about coffee. I don't know a lot of children that drink coffee. This is an adult beverage. This, this right, yeah. I drink it black. That's very yeah. adult. It, it yeah. is very adult. And yeah. so we decided to do coffee. Maurice does no longer partakes of the alcohol, but he does love him some coffee. I do. And so that's why we're here. Yeah. How would you rate this coffee? Because Tom said right off the bat that he loved it. I was shocked. I was shocked. I love coffee. Yeah. I drink a lot of coffee, and it, this is a delicious coffee. <laughs> I have, a, I have a, a friend, a comedian friend from Toronto, uh, who's been here for 40 years, but I still think of him as from Toronto, uh, named Lou Dinos. He has, a, he has a joke in his act. He says, I drink a lot of coffee. My doctor says I drink too much, and it might kill me, but when I die, I'm going to be awake. <laughs> I, love, I love that joke. Well, what what makes good coffee for you? Like, what do you do? You like a I, I like the strength, style? but I definitely I don't like it to have a lot of hair and a lot of rough <laughs> edges. You know what I mean? Like hair in the coffee. Serration. Yeah. Yes. I want it to go down smooth, but I want to know I'm drinking coffee, and this is delicious coffee. And I I do drink it black. I'm one of those people that actually enjoys the taste of coffee. See, I so. I drink it. I go cream and sugar, and I'm. I didn't drink coffee until I was already in college. Yeah. I was at a, uh, I grew up in Philly and I was at a place in Philadelphia called Silk City. It was with a friend of mine. I think I was a freshman or sophomore in college and we were ordering breakfast and he ordered coffee and I did not. And he says, you, you not have any coffee? I said, I've never had it. And he looked at me and said, wait, you want to be a writer? You have to drink coffee. Yeah. There's no such thing as a writer that doesn't drink coffee. And I tried it and I've been, uh. A fan ever since. I, I just like you. What you're a writer? No, here, uh, take this cigarette, take this bottle of booze, <laughs> yeah. take this coffee. coffee. Uh, the heroin comes later. Yeah, yeah, we'll get, get to work. that later. When maybe it, yeah. a, maybe uh, some codeine robitussin for the nod <laughs> when you're really blocked, and then and then yeah. My brother Paul, who is only two years younger than me, has never tasted coffee in his life. Now our father, uh, who art in heaven, yes. we hope, um, was a he would he would. Uh, he would do the uh, taster's choice, the freeze dry. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, two heaping teaspoons in a tiny cup like this, bubbling boiling water from the electric kettle. I mean, you could see the bubbles still in it. Two stirs and right in the mouth. And oh. I, I think he oh. may have tried it once, burned his tongue, and said, that's it, I'm never drinking that shit again. Because, uh, you know, and I'm not a fan of instant. I mean, I like it. Well, it's, but my brother I'm pretty never sure this is not instant. Not <laughs> I'm thinking this is on the higher no, end right now. Yeah. My that, son just started drinking coffee this year, and he's 28. He's never he'd never had a desire to, and I think it's some kind of father rebellion. Well, what, sure. what's interesting is I didn't drink coffee until later, also, and my fr my roommate would be like, "I'm making coffee. Do you want coffee? Endless store coffee." And I'd say, "No." He goes, "How do you not want coffee?" And then I went through a period where I had a crisis and I couldn't afford cocaine and I needed to stay awake, <laughs> so I said, "Let me start doing coffee." And so, you know, I Shame drank. we weren't friends earlier, Tom. I was very well, generous with Oh, yes. Cocaine. Well, no, then I went crazy. Yeah. I never did cocaine, but I ended up roasting my own beans. And that's why I was taken aback because we did just get this coffee and I was expecting okay coffee. And this is phenomenal. So if you were at a party, yes. instead of whipping out the baggie with the with the blow, you'd whip out a bag of beans and be like, hey, well, yeah, you I'm really want to party? I'm going to roast these later. Yeah. With, a grinder in the other, with a grinder <laughs> in the other hand. I yeah. watched my brother. I got another brother, Jason, who's a big coffee if he's not. He's like the gourmet of the family, and he roasts his own beans. And and he, he, when we visited him this Christmas, he showed us his, you know, the whole roasting. It's like a popcorn popper. Yeah. And you wait for the first crack, yes. and then you watch the beans change change color. And he explained that the lighter color, the less you roast it, the more caffeine will actually be 
And it's not your dark roast coffees that are going to, you know, make you get you chicken pow, Jerry. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> he's going to. He, well, I wonder it, if this is in here because I, I, as Tom probably told you on the way over, I do a lot of preparation for these shows. Right. Oh, yeah. At least 10 minutes before the show. So I went online and I Googled fascinating facts about coffee. Okay. And an article popped up on something called Mental Floss that's called 15 Fascinating Facts About Coffee. Excellent. And so I'll, get, I'll throw a couple out and we'll see. So this one says, uh, coffee was originally chewed. According to a number of historians, the life. first African tribes right. to consume coffee did so by grinding the berries together, adding in some animal fat, and rolling these caffeinated treats into tiny edible Energy balls. Wow. Energy balls. Energy balls. <laughs> you can't so, say that word. You want some balls? I got your you? balls yeah, right here. Yeah. Balls. So that was. There's no way to say that in a PG. Yeah. Way. It was, it was, yeah. Uh, drinking decaf coffee fuels the soda industry. So oh, after coffee beans are decaffeinated, several coffee manufacturers sell the caffeine no. to soda and pharmaceutical companies. Wow. Pretty fascinating. You, gotta, right? you, you know, you got to have a use for that extra caffeine. Like you could sit around the house. What are you going to do with it? A bunch yeah. of, bunch of Mainline it. Yeah. yeah. Tom, back in his get writing the, days, yeah. needed to get stay awake. Get all jacked up. This one I thought was interesting. It says, the average American spends about $2,000 on coffee each year. According to the Perfect Brew, women drop approximately 2327 while men spend a tiny bit less on coffee. That's got to be... Out coffee, like like going yes, and dropping, traveling, getting in, yeah, the new Starbucks. Your coffee is you got, we don't say that word in here yeah. in, in Minotti's. In which a dirty word? Well, here's one for you. Which country is the world's coffee capital? What does that mean? Production or consumption? Yeah, uh, its citizens drink the most. The average citizen of this country drinks about four cups of coffee each day, the most of anywhere in the world. It's a place, I'll give you a hint, it's a, it's a place that is often cold, which might explain the... Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to offer Canada only because I'm from there. Yeah. No. 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 Only... That's si- often, Siberia. That's Finland. Finland. Nice. Finland. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of these, but there's a, there's a couple that I... This one was interesting. Beethoven apparently was very specific about how he wanted his coffee prepared, he insisted that each cup he consumed be made with exactly exactly 60 coffee beans. No more. <laughs> so he was kind of like the first, you know, rider, like, you know, take out the blue M&Ms, yeah. 60 beans. He was the first OCD. Uh. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you that I, and not to align myself in any way with Beethoven, but uh, I'm very specific about the way I make my coffee. It drives my wife nuts, but... I weigh the the beans, thirty grams, exactly thirty grams of bean, grinded fresh. I use a Chemex, and then exactly three hundred and sixty-five grams. I go by water weight, grams of boiling water just off the boil, circular boil, circular uh, pour, and that produces to me the perfect cup of coffee. 30 and 365. It's 30, number of days in a month, 365, number in a year. Wow. And, and, uh, but I will count 60 beans and see how that works out. Tom, are you at all this? So not only am I on the opposite, I'm going to take Maurice's wife's side in this argument right. of it being annoying. I'm obsessed with coffee. Maurice is doing it the correct way. So I am not, I grind as much as possible, put it into, so a Chemex, for those of you that don't know, Chemex is a glass container and you pour boiling water over it through a funnel, the the Mm -hmm. coffee's in a funnel. And it's a beautiful object. And Maurice bought me one for my birthday once. Um, And uh, And then you've replaced everyone. I just put. Because they break. I just put a ton of coffee and I pour it and it's long as it's dark. And it's, so it's funny that you, but that's a little bit OCD in a, a good way. A little bit? Every, everyone will approve of that. Yeah. Especially Ludwig von Beethoven. <clears throat> Beethoven was, is, would is approve. currently rolling in his grave. You could have lived with Beethoven and had less fights than you do with your wife. Uh, probably. Because he would have said, Maurice. That's 61 I, beans. <laughs> that's too many beans. Towards the end, you got to talk louder though, right? Didn't right. Beethoven yeah. got a little By the way. Hearing. Good callback. Sorry. Yeah. Dan, I was going to say, 
I get blown away when I hear Maurice doing those. So on your introduction, Maurice is just whizzing off these. The voices. The voices yeah. like nothing, right? Well, I was, that's what I wanted to sort of get to. You. Right. We'll, we'll segue in with the, when you talk about drinking coffee or whatever. Right. Your voice is the, the, the most important, it's the thing, the mechanism with which you make your living. Is there, you have to worry about certain things like that could screw up your vocal cords? Well, I, I gave, okay, like here it is, you know, the, all the fun stuff. I, you know, I, uh, actually tomorrow will be 34 years since my last drink. Now, I don't make any moral thing about, about uh, alcohol. I just have this theory that everybody gets a certain number of drinks allotted to them in, you know, the moment they're born. I just did all mine up by my 31st birthday. Really? And I just drank <laughs> the lifetime's worth of drinks by my 31st birthday and it was time to stop. But I used to smoke cigars and I used to think that the cigars gave my voice depth and richness. And, you know, and I finally gave those things up because my son said, Dad, my clothes stink and my friends think I'm smoking pot. He's only 11 years old. <laughs> and, I go, and I go, all right, that's it. Done. It hurts my kid. Done. And, um, you know, so so I avoid I avoid smoking like the plague. Uh, I drink lots of water. I don't think coffee is really deleterious to the vocal cords per se. Uh, so, you know, but I make sure to hydrate a whole bunch. Um, and and uh, and that's it. I stay away from soda. Well, what about age? Soda, soda pops, soda pop. Depending on which side. Yeah, sure. Watching. So uh, I stay away from that. Well, what about your age, though? Because I was watching a video of you mm -hmm. from many years ago. Rodney Dangerfield oh, was doing comedians. some sort of a, a young yeah, comedian, an and young you came up and, and you killed it. It was it was amazing. Mm -hmm. But talking to you now. It's very noticeable the difference between Everybody's your voice, voice now drops, and though, then. As they yeah. age. And and uh, and you know I've got a certain amount of control uh, that I uh, that I employ, but if I don't employ it, I sound like this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I just. But I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's. I don't think it's anything I've done to my voice. It just everybody just gets a little bit deeper. I mean, if you listen to uh, you know the, the entire cast of Futurama. Uh, and watch a season one episode and then listen to the episodes that we're doing now, which won't drop until mid-year. But, uh, you know, we've our, all of our voices have gotten a little bit deeper. But what the, about the someone like Dan Castellaneta? I don't notice any difference between the Homer but, now but and the Homer that are they is, doing. He is employing uh, a certain vocal tension for for uh, for Homer. So he can keep doing that um, uh, and 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 sell it. Also, I happen to know. Dan is one of the cleanest living people that, that there is. So he doesn't smoke. He doesn't. I mean, they, I think smoking's the great enemy of anybody who uses their voice for a living, unless you're George Burns and it's part of the character where everything with him was all about how how very raspy his voice was. And he lived to 101. You know, this is like my doctor tells me to quit smoking, but I don't listen to him. And uh, and now my doctor's dead and I'm still here. You know, I mean, that's uh, by the way, we should say Dan Castellana is Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson, yes. yeah. So and people know. I, I, I was curious if there's, are they manipulating it in any way, his no. voice, to make it? No, I think that's, no. I, I did a Simpsons where I actually had seen, had a scene, long scenes, with a character based on our favorite sushi chef, Chef Kazunori Nozawa. They actually wrote an episode where Marge and Homer find the greatest sushi bar in the world. And it's the it's the it's the a story of the episode, and um, and and he dispenses wisdom to them, and um, so I played with Dan most of the time when I do Simpsons I just go in pick up my lines I'm usually playing Orson Welles or Vincent Price, uh, you know and I just pick up my lines separately downstairs in the in the in the, in the lower studio uh, under the writing offices, and with this one it was all of us on the Marge Simpson stage acting the scenes out and. It was phenomenal to be between, it was only about five years ago, to be between Julie Kavner and Dan Castellaneta and hear them relate to each other as Marge and Homer and see the relationship that Dan and Julie have with each other in person playing those characters because they play to each other. They don't just read off the thing. They're talking with each other and Julie is very animated and very much trying to reach him her body language is of one someone really trying to reach her husband and and dan is just you know very like this and me you know but he's he's uh and he employs a little bit of that radio technique of of, of holding up to hear the voice but it's as clean as it was from like a season 
I think it's season one of the actual show, Dan made a decision to change the voice from Walter Matthau to what he's doing now. Because in the I Tracy thought it was a, I shorts, thought it was a different guy. It was it was still the, him? It was still Dan. In Completely the Tracy different. Ullman shorts. Uh, he was doing a Walter Matthau impression. Yeah. And when the, he thought maybe he can't sustain that, perhaps. I don't know. I, I, I want to ask him one of these days. What was the decision? Yeah. You know, because brain has always been, it started out as a pure Orson Welles. I don't know, you know. Uh, well, and you've done and, Orson Welles. Yeah. It's I've, incredible. And, yeah, I've, and we want to yeah. play him a lot. And, um, but as we went along by episode three, Andre Romano, no relation to Ray, uh, our voice director said, it's, it's just, it's too low. It's too flat. You've got to bring something else into it. And I thought, well, Vincent Price is, the, is similar. You know, here's Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen. The doors have been locked and the exits are sealed. You know, and, and, and then Vincent Price is about here. Good evening and welcome to mystery. Tonight on Sherlock Holmes, we, we present the case of the Red-Headed League. And, and so I thought, let me put some of those highs and lows, those Vincent Price highs and lows, into the character and the voice evolved and and i think we all do little things as we go along and if you watch first season of any long-running show you're going to hear a difference between the way that we are first getting to know the characters ourselves our own characters and as they become really established you know and and, and we also listen to people doing our characters you know that's a lot of fun and that it all goes into the hopper and you know we they get bigger Maurice, can I hear the final brain version? Oh, you've teased it. Yeah, brain, brain now is uh, pink here. You pondering what I'm pondering. Yes, we shall take over the world, my friend. So it's a little <laughs> bit pushed. It's not, Orson would be, pink here, you pondering what I'm pondering? Yes, we <laughs> shall take over the world. You know, so uh, it's, it's come along. Well, one of the most entertaining things of prepping for this was going back and watching some Orson Welles stuff. And famously, the outtakes from when he was doing the Paul Masson. Oh, my God. So, Okay, course, I got to tell he, you. He, you, you see those yeah. on YouTube because I had the only copy of that. And I made 50 videos <laughs> of great video outtakes. I had William Shatner doing Rocket Man in the 1978 Science Fiction Film Awards. But the thing that opened the tape was Orson going, Ah, the French... Champagne has long been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne inspired by that same excellence. And like the best champagne, it's vintage dated and fermented in the bottle. And, and then, cut! Why don't you take two? And then he's the French. <laughs> champagne is long been celebrated for its excellence. There's a California champagne inspired. Cut! And he gives shoots the director. So I gave that out to about 50, 50 of my favorite actors, comedians, recording engineers. And it just kept getting copied and copied and copied until finally I'm on YouTube and I see it come up and I go, that's my tape. That is the best. And then I was, and then I was listening to one that you did. It talked about was the frozen, frozen peas. peas. So he was doing a commercial and the, he, when he starts yelling at the guy and the, who are you? What is it you want? What do you want? What is it you want in your depths of your ignorance? What is it you want? <laughs> Whatever mean, it is you want, I can't deliver because I just don't see it. Um, I mean, it's so... <laughs> and he's insulting them. And then he'd go, forgive me. Yes, but forgive. basically, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know? He says, he says, uh, he says, there's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence with it and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July, and I'll go down on you. <laughs> That's just idiotic, if you'll forgive me for my saying so. That's just stupid. In July. Love to know you emphasize in and in July. Impossible. Meaningless. But, yeah. but by the way, it sh it's so enjoyable. That was, that, that was the 70s, by the way. 1970s. You, but you should, just to paint the picture a little bit, the magnitude of Orson Welles' fame and... Uh, um, uh, talent is enormous and he's doing pee commercials to to make money he, right because i mean he he wanted to finish his the movie. other side of the wind and you know he did voiceover work as a of course as a means of paying the, paying the bills at home and keeping the lights on his beautiful home but um you know he was trying to find so he would take anything and of course, he would charge a very pretty penny for it. He, in fact, that frozen peas commercial, those guys chased him all around Europe. 
Bathroom. And kept, <laughs> it's just kept a funny thing to think. Doubling of. the check. And doubling Kane. the check. The checks. man who created a, Citizen Kane has yes. been reduced to doing frozen peas. But and, the, the thing you're talking about was the first line was in July. In and they July. wanted him to emphasize yeah. the word in. And that became a really big sticking it point. It became huge. Huge for him. And yet, I have to say, I have... I have heard a, a British, you know, I made a, made a trip to London last year. I was there about two weeks. And British newscasters will, will say, in the House of Parliament, there was a fight today with uh, the Prime Minister and uh, one of his uh, cabinet members. And so they will come in hard on the word in. in it's a British. So it's a British, British thing. thing. Well, at one point he wanted it to be every. Every then he says, so it should no, you be don't. every July. You don't, really, you don't really mean in every July. It's in July. Of course, it's every July. Too much directing around here. Norway. Findus Norway. Fish fingers Norway. <laughs> we know a certain fjord in Norway near where the card gather in great shows. There, Janst Stanglen. Shit. A fraction more that shows things because you roll it around very nicely. Yeah, roll it around and I have no more time. You don't know what I'm up against because it's full of things that are only correct because they're grammatical, but they're tough on the ear. You see, this is a very wearying one. It's unpleasant to read. Unrewarding. I love it. <laughs> He's so withering. Commercial about peace. Oh, my God. I mean, the intelligence peace. of this man was so beyond I, anybody in any yes. room. And so, you know, it's like you hire Orson Welles to have him read it the way Orson Welles reads it. It's like, and the other, it's like directing Shatner. You don't want Shatner to do anything. Well, but you know what's Shatner. funny about that, Morris, when you brought that up is on the sidebar of YouTube, there was a next to the, you know, the, the prompt is the next is Shatner losing his shit. Okay. And about and, and, some, again, yeah. original circulator of that tape. That was you too. I'm sorry to I say. didn't listen to that. Yeah, one. I, I was, don't know. I, what was, that was. I was the guy. That the, can, the you engineer a, gave can you do a Shatner? Can you do it? I don't think you can. Bill, if you want to come after me, it's my fault. But uh, the, the engineer gave me, this was back in the days when we actually traded cassettes, and he, he gave it to me, and I gave it to Billy West, and Billy West put it on the Howard Stern Show in exchange for, he gave me the only copy of Jack Palance losing it. But the, the Shatner thing was this, it was, uh, uh, it was, Spock sabotaged the system. Spock restore the atmosphere. Spock sabotaged the system. I wish I knew what to do. Bill, uh, how about you're in the void now and it's starting to affect you and your 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 hail fellow well met. Uh please don't tell me how to do it. It sickens me. Sulu, check off. Bill, that line sabotage, could you pronounce it uh, sa sabotage? I mean that line sabotage, could you pronounce it sabotage? I don't say sabotage. You say sabotage. I say sabotage. So <laughs> <laughs> And is that because he's Canadian that he's pronounced it? He does pronounce it sabotage. There's actually somebody, somebody with a lot more time on his hands than me went back all through the original series until they found one episode where he said the word. And sure enough, he said, he's trying to sabotage my ship. My crew. My crew. Please don't sabotage. <laughs> so that is actually the French Canadian pronunciation of it. Yeah. Which is where you're from. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with more. Maurice LaMarche and Tom Caltabiano. Hello. There are many ways to use the Bartles and James premium wine cooler. One lady in Massachusetts even uses it to make bread. Will Ed suggests an even better idea is to use it as a topping. For example, as a topping for ice. This is quick and easy to do and will not only improve the flavor of ice considerably, but will make it more attractive as well. So if you're tired of having your ice just plain, add some Bartles and James. We hope you appreciate this suggestion, and thank you for your support. So I'll tell you a little story. A few years back, a publicist pitched me on something called National Negroni Week. It's a celebration of the famed cocktail, the Negroni. You're familiar with it? Right? Of course we are. Love it. But here's where it went sideways, in my opinion. They, they tried to tie this thing to charity, to uh, benevolence, to, you know, so according to the National Negroni Week website, and this is a few years back, but in 2015, they said more than 3,500 venues around the world participated in this, raising just over $320,000 for charitable causes, right? You're like, oh, that's great, wonderful. Yeah. It's like a, you know, a third of a million bucks going to people that need it, otherwise wouldn't have gotten it. 
And then, then I did something that nobody in the booze media should ever do, the math, okay? So now, according to my calculations, $320,000 from 3,500 venues averages out to $91.43 per venue. Over a week, that averages to $13.06 per day, which back in 2015 was roughly the cost of a Negroni in Los Angeles without the tip, okay, per day. Minus administrative costs and adjusted for exchange rates. And you know what? On second thought, as far as booze holidays made up by liquor companies, National Negroni Week is that bad. Okay. I just want people to be honest when they lie to me, Maurice. So there are a lot of regular run-of-the-mills invented liquor company holidays. You got National Daiquiri Day, July 19th. Tom knows that, July 19th, right? You celebrate it, yeah. Uh, National Vodka Day, October 4th. And what we find ourselves in right now, this is an entire week of Irish coffee. This is Irish coffee week in January, okay? And what I really appreciate about these phony observances is that their organizers had the decency to avoid any and all philanthropic pretense. None, right? (laughs) Right. These fake holidays are, because let's call them what they are. They're naked attempts to goose interest and sales for no other reason than to goose interest and sales, right? They're honest lies that embody America's two fundamental values, greed and shamelessness. Besides that, these designated drinking days are an important piece of the social contract. I want to get loaded on Yom Kippur. And these people tell me that's a normal and natural thing to want to do so long as I drink a specific kind of booze. And that's where the relationship should end. But when someone tries to manipulate me with elusive appeals to my sense of magnanimity, that's when things get weird, Maurice, and they get weird fast. Because let's get one thing straight. I don't drink to help people. (laughs) I drink to crush the spirits of the people who love me most. Convincing me I'm somewhere helping by drinking enough Negronis to fill Arnold Schwarzenegger's swimming pool is nothing but empty pandering. Just tell me it's a holiday and I'll drink your shit. I live for this stuff, which brings me to National Irish Coffee Week. (laughs) And so uh, we are going to have an Irish coffee. Tom and I are at least going to have an Irish coffee. We're going to have it with Egan's vintage grain people that listen to this show know i'm a big fan of egan's uh it's i've been over there to dublin numerous times ago and visit they hang with those guys it's Love great dublin the vintage grain is a fantastic whiskey egan's family been doing this since 1852 okay this one 45 bucks a bottle tom Can't wow it. yeah wow. high-end stuff you're gonna have uh so we poured this into our coffee you want to try a little bit is you b- by the way i'll just i'll drink i'll drink my coffee black and just you drink do yeah no, no 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 uh, yeah so so, Cheers. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Maybe. So there's Dan, no you know Irish be in heaven there's, half an hour before the devil Dan, you, you've met Irish people. What 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 sh- he said cheers to me, which seems not Slancha. Well, yeah, that's that's Slancha. That's actual, cheers in uh, yeah. Gaelic? Irish? What are Gaelic, they? yes. Yeah. So there's no age statement on this. It was uh it was put in the cask in 2009. It was bottled in 2017. The single grain, non-chill filter. Do you know what that means, Tom? What it's non-chill filtered? I, I do. What is it? Let's hear it. Non-chill filter. Yeah, what does that mean? It's not chilled when it's filtered. Why do they chill filtrate alcohol? To get rid of some of the uh, impurities. It's an aesthetic thing. It gets rid of the cloudiness and the... Yeah, but a lot of... You're seeing these days a lot more uh, distillers are going to to non-chill, put all that shit in there. We, we want, want it, it we want to keep in. it in, okay? American Oak Barrels for this. Uh, Johnny Egan, who's been on this show, he, he selected the, uh, the, uh, the barrels for this, and uh, I love it. I think it's a great whiskey. Pale golden yellow in color. How do you spell Egan's? E-G-A-N apostrophe S. Egan is the family may name. May I hold the bottle? You may it, hold the bottle. Okay. Too. You can I'm, cradle it. Yeah. Make love to it. Whatever you want to do. I'll be the, uh, I'll be like the, uh, yes. go between the game show. Yeah. But anyway, I love Impressive. a good Irish coffee and, uh, I'll celebrate because they're not I trying to make it. me no. feel like I'm and helping enjoy. anybody. Why does Irish coffee get a whole week and vodka only gets a day? Vodka's a little wimpy, you know? I love the, I, by the way, I love the label of this. I love anything that feels, uh, like it's from 18. Tom, you know what? It's, you it's, can it's, have it's, that, Tom. I'm going to give you that bottle. If you give me this bottle, Dan, I will be much nicer to you than that's yours. It's all yours because I was kind of mean to you earlier in the show. Um, Okay, 
More Real quick, fascinating now with the Egans. I'm, 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 I'm hearkening back to Airplane and, uh, and uh, Lloyd the Bridges going, uh, I picked the wrong week to, to quit sniffing glue. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, I picked the wrong decade to stop drinking. I'm like, what was the first thing? Stuff. First one was, I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. Quit smoking. Then it, it, it gradually gets to, <laughs> uh, uh, it, by the end, it's amphetamines, right? right and right. then he jumps out the window. Exactly. It's coming right at us. Um, by the way, um, I just remembered something. A comedian I know, I don't know. Do you know Mike Egan? He was a comedian still back east. Yeah. But he would take Mike Egan, same name as the... Uh, Irish whiskey he would go on stage with a shot glass and go take the shot glass and he goes an artist prepares and then he would go into his set <laughs> and go in so, yes well there you go so we got the Egan's with the Minotti's coffee by the way I meant to tell you guys about Minotti's just a little bit of history on who Cesar Minotti was is that Italian it he was guy slightly. he was friends with Abbott Kinney the guy who tried to turn Venice into the Venice canals yeah. he had a shop over by the Venice sign right on Windward Circle there. Um, I'm going to screw up the story, but basically he had, a, he had a, a bar and then Prohibition hit. And so what he did was open a, like a grocery store up top called Minotti's and they moved the bar operation downstairs. It was a speakeasy, which is still there to this day. Tom's been there with, to townhouse. And what they did was they built a tunnel from the townhouse to the ocean with a trap door covered with sand and they would bring ships down from can dump the alcohol put it in and that became the distribution center for Los Angeles wow. West Side, you know wow. that's where they would bring booze in to Minot to the speakeasy which Louis the Ryan the guy who owns this place paid tribute to that, oh, and that that's I, why we I got the not, name I, I did not know that story yeah. uh, Dan Cesar? Was, it, was it a fancy speakeasy or was it more like because I, 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 I lately uh, came across an article about speakeasies. And many of them were just these little rooms with just a couple of chairs. Well, this is, down, this is, under, this is underground. And right. what's really interesting about it, it's, when you go down, it's still basically, I mean, they've obviously fixed it up. But what's funny is how short people must have been. Right. Because, Tom, you would be practically hitting the ceiling. I'm 6'4". Because the ceiling yeah. is low. And, 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 and if you go back there, you still have the original, one of the original stairways, staircases back right. there, which is, you know... 150 years old you know it, it yeah it, i'm assuming it was probably pretty down and dirty back yeah. in the day i mean even townhouse itself louis bought it i think in 2008 and he's since turned it into one of the you know best bars in los angeles but i used to go in there before that and it was a rough place like rough to the point where if you went to the bathroom at the townhouse they had um you had to get a coin from the bartender to put you in because it was locked. You had to put a coin in there to get in because otherwise they couldn't tell the difference between the clientele and the, and the unhoused that lived in the yes, area. Sure. So it's come up a lot since In other then. words, they weren't these elegant affairs that we see in movies that were, yes, where, you know, hidden people are I mean, making whoopies. Well, probably. Or, I mean, like the Cotton Club and all those places in Harlem, I, you know, I think. The, the 21 Club. Had, yeah. you been, had you eaten there, the 21 Club I in Manhattan? I have been to the 21 Club. I think Next time we're in New York. Well, I think it's closing or, or, oh. or had closed, but they had an amazing speakeasy with a giant uh, uh, safe like door and just a elaborate thing but I guess it depended where you know there's a little bit of money flowing through Manhattan so well, I think that would be yeah. it's such a all of that stuff is fascinating like I mentioned the Cotton Club in Harlem when you look at the history almost every drinking law that exists in the United States now stems from prohibition mm. and a lot of it in ways where you would go you wouldn't naturally think it would so for instance in New York they they have a thing, and I think it's changed in recent years, but the cabaret, the cabaret laws that they had, okay? I first found out about this 20 years ago. I was in a just a regular bar. Music was playing over the jukebox or whatever, and I was doing the white guy dance, you know, over by, and a bouncer came up to me and said, hey, you can't do that. I said, what, dance poorly? He said, you can't dance, can't move. Really? Said, what are you talking about? So we don't have a cabaret license. You have to have a cabaret license in New York City for dancing. Where did cabaret licenses come from? During Prohibition, all of the great speakeasies were up in Harlem. So all of the people from lower Manhattan, the white people, were going up to Harlem. And Jesus Christ, these places are amazing, right? right. Prohibition ends. They still want to stay up there. You know, why, this, these are still the best clubs in New York. In a shocking development, the white establishment that was running New York City decided, well, how do we fix this? 
we'll introduce something called cabaret licenses. You have to have one in order to have music, dancing. And guess who was never granted those licenses? That's basically how they shut down all the places in Harlem. You got to get a cabaret license and they wouldn't give it to them. And then eventually they realized, oh, we can keep this going and make money. A cabaret license in New York City became an ungodly amount of money to get them. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what the status is today on how it works with cabaret licenses, but not that long ago, yeah, if you want to have dancing or live music or anything in New York, you got to pay half a million dollars to get that license. I'm just happy to hear that this guy had a reason to stop you from dancing. Yeah. That that that's the good as end of that he story. Should. Well, I want to. I want to. It was this, just. It was just you though, Dan. Just me. Just yeah. I'm the only one. It was like let's only- let's stop this. Right now, Dan, he's ruining everybody's evening. Dan, how long has Minotti's been around? Because I've never been here. I live in Los so Angeles. this one, the original one, I think Louis said, which is over over there, where the, where the original yeah. place underneath the on the Windward Circle in Venice that opened, I think Louis said in two thousand fourteen, fifteen around there, and then this one opened about four years ago, where we're at in. So we're right on Washington Boulevard and Sentinella. Anybody in the LA area wants to come over here. Across the street is a wonderful restaurant called hatchet hall which louis also owns mm. which just got a michelin star oh very very that's rarefied but, air so we're gonna go eat there very excited oh i love it by the way people don't know because i when you're when you're doing your podcast I'm, i i always listen dan but i know all the geography and they always think somewhere there, there is someone in india listening to this going i don't know sentinella i don't know this where is that yeah where is sentinella exactly but we're in the basin of los angeles here in culver city and the place you were talking about with the speakeasy is on the Pac- the pacific ocean right right there you're right yeah, by yeah. so very close to muscle beach the heart of venice beach right, right. is where i keep referencing the sign there's a there's a famous sign that says venice that hangs over the street on windward sure. and that is where Townhouse is, Minotti's is. Uh, Louis built himself quite a little empire here. Tunnel. Now, before we go, we have to go because we're going to dinner. But Maurice, what are you doing now? Like, what? How many shows are you on? You're, you you do so many voices that we probably can't even imagine uh, you've done. Uh, well, I'm currently we're we are uh, working on uh, Futurama for Hulu. Uh, we'll we'll debut this uh, summer. It'll drop. The first 10 episodes, and we have another 10 that will come in 24. Uh, the last season, very sad about it, of Animaniacs will be dropping in mid-February. And I'm about to go on like a little tour, a little Hulu tour of, uh, you know, our last, our, it's our last season. Um, and I will miss Brain, but it's been a privilege to be able to play him again, especially opposite my dear friend Rob Paulson, who plays Pinky. Uh, we just... We just have a fantastic time playing those characters and probably make each other laugh as much between takes as with the with the actual comedy that we're we're doing with the show. And I've got uh, and I'm, I'm frequent uh, frequent uh, guest on Rick and Morty, which is I think possibly one of the smartest shows ever written. And this show, this podcast, was originally on Dan Harmon's network. Oh, great! Starburns okay. Audio. Okay. And, uh, and the original Rick and Morty uh, were Starbridge Productions. Over in Burbank. In the, yeah. I was in that old dumpy building where awesome. they were originally doing that. Awesome. Yeah. And it's a uh, well, great show. And I, have, show. and I have my first in a long time live action uh, 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 film come out. I've just, it's been on the, fest, the horror festival circuit and I've won four best actor awards, which is so weird because I'm a voiceover actor. But I'm playing a writer who, the, who uh, the character is based on my friend Gordon Bressack. He wrote it, the late, great Gordon Bressack. And so the movie's called Murder Anyone, and it'll be dropping February 7th on all the streamers. So if you want to see more of this, uh, you know, actually doing on-camera acting in a very funny film, uh, horror comedy. Is it Murder Anyone? Like you, or is it Murder Anyone? Murder anyone? Okay. Question mark. By the, with it. a comma. Right. By the way, just to, just for because this is a podcast without video. When Maury said more of this, he wasn't pointing to his Johnson. He no, was pointing I'm pointing to, his to face. My... Okay. Well, so, it, it must be interesting for you when you go to these things like the various comic cons and things like that. Right. Because I watch some videos and people go crazy. Like when they they hear you do the voices, like. 
hard core fans. You know, I mean, it's not like, you know, when they come up to, uh, you know, Paul Rudd's table where they just want to meet him. They've seen him in so many things. I have to bust out the voices for these these folks. They don't know my face. So I'm happy. I'm hoarse by the end of the weekend. But I am happy whenever they, like, look at the pictures that are on my table of the various characters to... You know, go into the go into the voices. You know, Calculon, the star of all my circuits. Or would you perhaps like Lieutenant Kiff Croker? And I'll just keep pointing around and Yosemite Sam. Ooh, I hate rabbits, but I like you. You know, I mean, it'd just be it's just a. So can, I'm doing a one man show as I'm trying to see which can, photo can, they want. Can I tell a funny story about Maurice that happened the other day? Yes, we're having lunch. And it's Maurice's early, and it's going to be me and my friend, who you know, Dan, Ray Romano. Okay, Ray is a somewhat decent-sized celebrity in the world. And so Maurice is sitting there alone because he's early. And as he... We go over to Ray comes in, go over to a booth. Maurice gets well, we up move, from we his move other table. Seat. We yeah. move table. So Maurice gets up from the table where he's right. sitting to come over to the booth, and three people go, "I really like your jacket." And Maurice goes, "Oh, oh, thank you." And then. I'm does. wearing an old Futurama crew jacket. It's future, And so he breaks it. And the people, the kids go crazy. They're like, I, I can't believe it. You know? And I was waiting for them to go up to Ray and go, would you mind taking a picture of me <laughs> with Maurice LaMarche? <laughs> would you mind? Okay, yeah, sure. sure. I'd be happy to do that. So I'll rush right to the camera. No. It was it was fun. It was fun. Well, the kids. I love getting recognized. Yes. I, yes. I load. I'm hoping you could do me some because maybe we could work this out because then I could get out of doing some of these shows. You could fill in for me and be like, hey, this is excellent strategy. This is Dan. I'll work work on your voice over dinner as we there we go. Yes, we're about to go do that. And and with that to what you got. I like how you took us out there. I want to uh first of all I want to thank Folks here at Minotti's for having us. I want to thank Eric Tukoski, who was on the show earlier, telling us about the true story of how Jack, of how Frank Sinatra discovered Jack Daniels. Uh, I want to thank Tom Caltabiano, Maurice LaMarche, all of you listening to the show. And since it is Irish Coffee Week, I'm going to leave you within one of our old segments we do, our three-minute bartenders. We did one last year on the Irish Coffee. I'm going to leave you with that. Enjoy it, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you, everybody. We're all busy, and that's why sometimes you want a good drink and you want it fast. So strap in and hold on tight, friends. This is the 3-Minute Bartender. Usually on 3-Minute Bartender, I tell you about a great drink, its history, and how to make it. But this is not your usual 3-Minute Bartender episode. Today, I'm trying something different. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. And the something I'm going to do is tell you about a drink that you should never, ever order ever again. And that drink is the Irish car bomb. Oh, come on now. Stop with that. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with this particular concoction and the reasons why ordering it is such a sterling example of poor judgment, some background. To make an Irish car bomb, you combine half a shot of Jameson with half a shot of Bailey's in a shot glass, and drop the shot glass into a pint of Guinness, and... This little abomination was invented by a man named Charles Burke Cronin Oat at Wilson Saloon in Norwich, Connecticut in the mid-1970s. Norwich, Connecticut being, of course, in America. So to recap... An American bartender invented a drink that appropriates three of Ireland's most beloved adult beverages as ingredients and named it after an act of terrorism that has caused catastrophic social and political upheaval, not to mention countless deaths for generations of Irish citizens. appreciate the import of this, imagine that in the wake of 9-11, a cheeky Irish pub owner dreamed up a drink that combined America's native spirit, bourbon, with sweet vermouth. That's a Manhattan. Put it in a shot and dropped it into its most popular beer, Budweiser, and called it a Manhattan Ground Zero because, as he'd explained, drinking it left a big fat hole in your gut. Well, you'd probably have some choice words for that guy, wouldn't you? I will rain down on a godly fucking firestorm upon you. I am talking scorched earth, motherfucker. I will massacre you. I will fuck you up. Now here on 3-Minute Bartender, we don't condone fucking anyone up. 
As my dear departed grandma from Philly always used to say, nonviolence is a weapon of the strong. It's a valuable lesson. Grandma also taught me a few other things like never trust rich people. Empty cardboard refrigerator boxes are the greatest toys ever invented, and a penny saved is still just a fucking penny. Now some of you are probably thinking, yeah, but Irish car bomb tastes really good. And you're right, it does. I'm not ashamed to admit that I used to partake of them myself back in the day before I saw the error of my ways. I also once paid top dollar for a ticket to see Creed in concert, okay? The point is, we all make mistakes. Must resist urge to keep listening. Look, to the folks from the Emerald Isle, car bombs represent violence and conflict, not boozy good times. If you want to catch a buzz Irish style, there are so many less insensitive ways to do so. Try a Luck of the Irish, a delightful combination of whiskey, peach schnapps, pineapple juice, and lime soda. Or an Irish mule where you sub out Irish whiskey for vodka. And of course, there's always the Irish coffee. Look, it's simple. Irish car bombs are offensive, and you should never order another one again. It's that simple. Just stop. Are we good on that point? I hope so, because, well... But if you don't... I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Yes, we're lost, we're